The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Welcome to Talk is Jericho's the Pot of Thunder and Rock and Roll, and the only place outside of a Guns N' Roses tour bus to get the patented Duff McKagan joke of the week. Chris Jericho, Duff McKagan calling you. Hey, listen, uh, you know the difference between beer nuts and deer nuts? Yeah, well, uh, beer nuts are $1.50 a pound, and uh, deer nuts are under a buck. Thank you very much. Goodbye. I think Duff has sent that one in before. Not sure it worked any better the second time, but we love Duff for doing this week after week for the last four years. He's enjoying a little downtime with his family in the uh, in Pacific Northwest before Guns N' Roses head to South America September 1st. Then they're hitting Mexico, Asia, and Australia, and New Zealand all before the end of the year. Fozzie also hitting Australia and New Zealand before the end of the year, and as well as uh, Canada and the U.K., and the United States Save the World Tour starts up again September 8th in Columbus, Ohio. Like I said, we're headed to Toronto and Montreal this time around. FozzyRock.com has all the dates, ticket information, and details on our legendary VIP meet and greets. Once again, like I said, headed back to the UK and Manchester, November 4th. Birmingham, Nottingham, Dublin, Belfast, Swansea, Bournemouth, Bristol, Glasgow, and London before we take the show down under to New Zealand and Australia. We're kicking things off in Auckland on November 28th hitting Brisbane, Melbourne, Sydney, and Adelaide. Come rock with us this fall. Again, that's FozzyRock.com for all ticket information and VIP details. FozzyRock.com. All right. So you guys know I went to the UK earlier this month to the Jericho Chronicles one-man show tour. It was amazing. Different theme each night. had a great time telling stories, hanging out with everyone. So I thought I'd share all three of these shows with you. And the first one today was recorded live in Belfast, and the theme was WrestleMania. I talked all about my WrestleMania appearances for my first WrestleMania in Los Angeles in 2000 in a three-way matchup with Chris Benoit and Kurt Angle to my last at WrestleMania 33 against Kevin Owens for the United States Championship. It should have been for the World Championship if Vince changed his mind. You'll hear all about how the match came together, behind-the-scenes stories from the day of, what I thought about each uh, match, and, of course, uh, what Vince McMahon thought of, well, the ideas behind them, the big matches, the great build-ups, and some of them were last-minute plans, not executed as well. I'm talking about Mickey Rourke, Shawn Michaels, Roddy Piper, Triple H, Fandango, Ricky Steamboat, Kevin Owens, just to name a few. Here we go. Chris Jericho's WrestleMania matches starts now via Inside the Ropes, live in Belfast, here 
on Talk is Jericho. Let's go straight into WrestleMania. So you get signed to WWE in August of 99, and we know that you go on to have the Eurocontinental three-way match, but you were on the WrestleMania 2000 poster. And a lot of people online think maybe you were in a different match and something was changed. Can you talk about that? We're just jumping right in, aren't we? <laughs> Didn't even buy me dinner or anything. <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, my very first WrestleMania was in Los Angeles. And it was a three-way match. Jericho versus Kurt Angle versus Chris Benoit in a two-fall match for the European title and Intercontinental title. It just rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? <laughs> but, the, but the initial thought for that match, where there actually is, you guys can go online and see, the poster, like Kenny said, the original poster had uh, Rock, um, Triple H, Big Show, and Jericho. I refer to myself in the third person, just so you don't think, what's he talking about? Um, so there were the four of us were on this poster. And nobody told me any reason about it. I saw it actually on a billboard on the Sunset Strip, which is really cool. And I, I had just come into the company. I was like, this is really great. Like, I'm on the, I'm on the poster. Like, this is huge. Because uh, as, as time went on, I always called myself the George Harrison of the Attitude Era. Now, what does that mean? I was in the company as a huge baby face, but... The Rock and Steve Austin were in the same company at the same time as huge baby faces. So much like George Harrison being an amazing musician, songwriter, singer, etc., his only problem is he's in a band with Paul McCartney and John Lennon. Nothing you can do. You're always going to be number three. So that was kind of my, my place in, in WWF at the time when I first got there. But I thought, I'm on the poster. Rock was gone, making movies, whatever it was. And if you remember that year, the main event match was a four-way match for the title with a McMahon in every corner. And the match ended up being uh, Triple H, Big Show. Um, uh, rock. rock. Is it Rock? Yeah, and, and Mick Foley. The original poster was not Mick Foley. It was, it was me in his place. And I think at some point, somebody got in Vince's head or whatever, and they brought Mick Foley back. And they, he was retired, and they, I think they offered him, he said, enough money to put his kids through college or something. And so he was in, and I was out. So it was a little bit of a downer, because I figured it out pretty quickly. Like, there's even a huge press kit that I have at my house. And the press kit is like this binder with all of these like flyers inside of it and advertising revenue. And WrestleMania does 10 million views across 57 countries. And I was in the cover of the thing and then i realized i got taken out for whatever reason and put into this like i mentioned three guys for two titles over two falls and whatever the f cluster f rules were so so but then we move on to wrestlemania 17 you know some people say it's the greatest wrestlemania ever and you open it with william regal well, hold on a second we, we didn't even talk about that match in in la <laughs> we just talked about the rules of the match See, yeah I, I look at kenny's there. notes a blank piece of paper right there. I've been outed um, again. Um. <laughs> Softball. So, so this, this, this match was in Los Angeles, and it was very confusing, like I said. And I was really conf like confused by the booking of the match because they had 
Chris winning the Intercontinental Championship in the first fall, and then me winning the European title in the second fall. The European title was here, the Intercontinental Championship was here. It seemed like it should have been the other way around. It's kind of like you get your you know, dessert and then you gotta eat the liver next. It was really kind of weird, but that was adamant the way Vince wanted it to be. And I remember, you think Kurt Angle and Benoit and Jericho in 2000, I mean, every guy in this match is just amazing, you would think. So the match should have been amazing, too. It really wasn't. I don't think I've ever watched that match back, and, and you guys might have, but I remember kind of thinking that was kind of lame. It was too confusing and overbooked, and I just never understood why the European Championship was second and the Intercontinental Championship was first. Um, and then I lost the European title the next night to Eddie Guerrero because of China, and everything just kind of was a big swirling uh, piece of crap down the toilet for that match. <laughs> I would, I would probably rate that match as possibly, and as we continue through, possibly my least favorite WrestleMania match because of the story I just told you of what it was supposed to be and then the potential for the match, but it never really came together in my opinion. There you go. And then you go on to, to WrestleMania 17 with you and William Regal for the Intercontinental title, ironically, and you know you win that there, you get to open the show. What was it like being on that, that card in that spot with Regal? Well, once again, it, it, people say it's the greatest WrestleMania of all time, but I like, well, it's like probably like, I think our match was maybe seven minutes. And here's the thing with WrestleMania that you guys don't know. This is when we were in a stadium, the Astrodome in Houston, 60,000 people, and you have 10 minutes for the opening match. And that includes your ring entrance. Problem is, it takes like freaking two minutes to walk to the ring. It's literally like 400 yards to get from the back of the stadium to the stadium. Now, you don't want to jog down or ride one of those little WrestleMania ring carts that they used to have. Remember, the guys would come down like under the giant be waving. It's like, this is the most untough thing ever. Like, you're just, hey, I'm super tough in my super slow cart. And um, I just... Uh, by the time we got to the ring, I think we had seven minutes, and you do not go over time at WrestleMania. So another thing that, that I'll point out to you guys as we, as we continue this conversation throughout the next hour and a half, whatever it is, is that WrestleMania, everybody wants to have the best match on the show. Everybody wants to have the classic, the, the, the legendary performance. Problem is, there's only a few matches on the show that are booked and given the spotlight for that. And what I mean is matches that are given 20 minutes, 30 minutes, matches that are put in certain positions. So when you have a seven-minute opening match, of course we wanted to have this all-time classic, but you just really can't. It's just, the, the focus isn't on it, the time isn't there, so you still do the best that you can, but everybody wants to steal the show at WrestleMania. And it doesn't matter where you are on the card, you still have that attitude, but reality creeps in when you're like, we have seven minutes. And I remember, once again, I felt very rushed in that match. Vince loved it after that. was What a great opening match. That was, oh, what an opening match. And I was just like, really? It was seven minutes. You know, I didn't really think it was all that great. I think there was a couple mistakes in there, as you guys call them, botches. <laughs> that is one of my least favorite words in the world. Oh, you botched it, mate. Did I? And what was I supposed to do? Tell me. Please tell me. Know all wrestling fan on Twitter. How did I botch this? But uh, so it, it was, and I remember too, like, this is pretty crazy, but they used to have this after show WrestleMania party where the whole company would be there and Vince would be there and the, and the, and the whole, like, the, the office was there. And Vince's favorite bands 
are ACDC and the Rolling Stones. And most of the years at these WrestleMania after parties, at least two or three times, he had hired a ACDC Rolling Stones cover band. How do you do an ACDC Rolling Stones cover band? Well, they would come out for the first half of the set dressed as ACDC. Then the Brian Johnson, Bon Scott guy would like go to the back, take off his hat, put on a glittery jacket, and start doing the Mick Jagger thing. <laughs> and that was kind of the best part. Like, who did he hire this year? Oh, it's, it's the ACDC Rolling Stones tribute band again. Oh, great. Which I love, but it's still funny. So anyways, you would have these after parties. And I remember like I was just, I had kind of a bit of a black eye. And I was like, I wonder if this looked a little bit more black, if it would make me like feel better about this match. So I kind of like scratched it a bit, and then suddenly there's a little bit of a cut, and then like scratched a little bit more, a little bit of sandpaper action. Like, oh, that looks that looks more impressive. Like, now I look like I feel like I've been in a fight because I didn't feel like I did anything. So now I'm self mutilating just to try and look tougher for the Rolling Stones ACDC cover band. Um, but you know, the, when you came into WWE, everybody was thinking you're you're going to be in the main event. You know, you're going to be a huge star in WWE. And finally, at WrestleMania 18, you are in the main event. You're the undisputed champion. But it maybe didn't happen exactly the way that you thought it was going to. Can you talk through the, being in that main event at WrestleMania 18? Well, there was a lot of um, there's a lot of politics when I first came into WWE that I didn't really know much about. I didn't realize just how much of a backlash there would be towards me. Just by the fact that I existed. It was just really strange because I came from WCW and at the time, as crazy as it sounds, the wrestling war was real between the two companies, between the rosters of the two companies. So even though in theory we had nothing to do with each other's company, there was a real problem when guys from WCW came into WWF. And I came in by myself. Like uh, I came in before any of my friends did. The only other guy that was uh, kind of there first was, was was Big Show, and he was and I weren't really friends at the time either. So you're kind of a of, of a man onto yourself on an island onto your own. And the first night in, I did a, a a promo saying I was the Millennium Man, and the WWF was so boring, and I was going to create excitement and you know. Make this whole, you know, crappy locker room. This entire roster realize what a real entertaining guy is. And meanwhile, the whole roster's watching, going, "Who the f is this guy? He's calling us boring." And I wasn't really calling them boring, but it just was part of the gimmick of what I was supposed to do. And then the next night in Milwaukee, the first night was Detroit Live. The next night was in Milwaukee at a SmackDown taping, and I was supposed to do a promo once again on the Undertaker, and. Vince Russo said, go, go stiff on him like you did last night. So same thing, like I was exciting and everyone else was boring. So I said, you know, I had this idea where I would call The Undertaker boring and he's just, you know, the, he's not the dead man, he's the boring man, whatever, whatever the hell it was. Problem is, I interrupt Undertaker after he literally had just done this 10-minute promo about driving through the desert and picking up the big show and feeding him a scorpion. That was literally the most boring fucking promo of all time. I didn't know this. I just went and said, you're boring. And everyone, the people were almost like starting to cheer. And Undertaker was just like, and I remember Shawn Michaels afterwards, he, I see him, he's like, you might, want not, you might not want to tell the biggest name in the company that he's boring. Uh-oh, 
big trouble. So right off the bat, huge heat for Chris Jericho. So it kind of did, there, there was a thumb on top of me when I first got in there. And so the first, like I said, a couple of WrestleManias were so-so. And then finally, we do the, the tournament for the Undisputed Championship. But first, let me, let me rewind that. We did a match in um, San Jose, which was Chris Benoit and Chris Jericho versus Triple H and Steve Austin for the WWF Tag Team titles. And we beat them in what was voted by, I think at one point in time, the, the greatest match in Raw history. And if you ever go back and watch it, it is one of the most exciting matches. The crowd is going ballistic. And the, the two kind of up-and-coming guys beat the two big names, but that was the night that Hunter tore his quad. And he was out for, I don't even remember how long it was, eight months, ten months. So when we had the undisputed championship title tournament, had Hunter not been hurt, I don't think I ever would have been in it never mind win and that day uh no one really knew for sure who was going to win it was rock austin jericho and kurt angle now no one knew for sure who was going to win but we used to call kurt canary kurt because if he heard anything he would just tell you <laughs> and so pat patterson kind of told me on the slide if you talked to vince yet this is a couple weeks before the tournament. I said, no. He said, well, he will. He'll talk to you when he's ready. And I was like, okay. And then I have a match against Steve Austin that I lose. And I asked Paul Heyman, should I be losing this close to the tournament match? And Paul said, just do it. Trust me. And I was like, huh, okay. And then I see Kurt and Kurt goes, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going over in the tournament. You know, I'm winning. They told me I'm winning. And I was like, okay, well, Canary Kurt just blurting out these secrets again. And I was like, well, Kurt says he's winning. And Pat and Paul Heyman kind of made this kind of secret cryptic clue that I was going to win. And so I finally found out that I was winning the Undisputed Championship in San Diego about three hours before the show. And how I found out was I was in catering, eating uh, lunch, whatever. And this is when Vince used to eat in catering as well with the commoners. And he walks in and I'm sitting at this table and he's standing like maybe here where he, he talks a little bit louder so he knows that I can hear him. And he's with Undertaker and he goes, Taker, you know how you know the business is going down the toilet? How, Vince? We're putting the title on Jericho. <laughs> and I'm like, huh? <laughs> Me? And that's how I found out. And if you ever wonder, like, whenever uh, someone was the title, they have their wife in the front row and their family in the front row. I had nobody. And I was like, why didn't you have someone in the front row? Because I didn't know. I found out three hours before I put the title on Jericho. So I won the Undisputed Championship with the idea that Triple H would come back and we would have this big, you know, confrontation. And finally, Triple H as a baby face now would be the new champion. Well, the problem was the buildup for the match wasn't very good. Uh, I had come up with an idea when Triple H came back that he finds out that I had been having an affair with Stephanie because um, she was with me, and he was like, I would never fall for that. <laughs> you know I'm not really banging your wife, right? <laughs> not really falling for anything. But So then the, the idea came that she, that she would kind of be the overbearing, you know, um, kind of girlfriend-esque, where I'd be like the pussy-whipped guy who just does whatever she says. But the difference was, difference was I wasn't banging her. So wh why would I be like a cuck to her telling me what to do? 
when I'm not even having sex with her. But, you know, they had this stupid angle where I had to walk her dog and I tie her dog to the handle of a car and then the car drives away and kills the dog. And then and th you can't make this stuff up. It's true. The dog shits all over the floor. I literally remember the WWE prop team making like poop designed brownies that they were laying in my dressing room because the dog pooped in my dressing room. Like this is the undisputed champion here. And they're, they're making, you know, poop delectables to put on the floor of this dressing room. This is how they're building up the main event of WrestleMania. So anyways, we finally get to the match and, um, you know, I just remember like this, this hasn't been built up properly, but there is heat there. In the last couple of weeks, right before the match, I did get some serious heat on Triple H. I think I hit him in the leg with his sledgehammer and all this sort of thing. I remember one time we were, we were rehearsing it of me hitting Triple H with a sledgehammer. And Vince would want you to rehearse as if it's real. Well, you can't rehearse if you're really doing it because there's no crowd. The crowd is where you get the, the you know, you, you get the, 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 the vibe and the, the adrenaline and the whole kind of energy comes from that. And plus, you're in character when you're in front of the camera. When you're not in front of the camera, you're just hanging out and you're like, you know, you're rehearsing. And Vince would be like, do it harder, do it harder. And I was like, okay, I'm, not, I'm not in the moment yet. And I remember he goes, oh, you don't want to do it? And this is what he said in females, please cover your ears if you're easily offended. He goes, what are you, on the rag or something? <laughs> I remember thinking, you big-eared, big-nosed motherfucker. I'm going to punch you right in your stupid face right now. Knock that toupee right off his head. So anyways, we finally built it up and we had the match. Now, here was the biggest problem. That match, people say it was the main event of WrestleMania. And it was technically the main event if you consider the main event to be the last match on the show. Okay, that's, that's one way of looking at the main event, right? Here's another way of looking at the main event. What's, what's the biggest match on the show that everybody is excited for and paying to see? Okay, there's another. So would you rather be in the main event that's last or be in the main event that's the, the match that everybody is looking forward to and pumped up and energetic and ready to see? Which one would you take? Option one, last. Option two, the most, uh, most influenced and energetic and excited match. Which would you take? One or two? One? Two? If I say one, you cheer for it. One? Two? That's what I thought. Where were you guys uh, in Toronto in 2001 or two, whatever the f*** it was? So um, I said, because the match was Rock versus Hogan. That was the match that was taking place at the time. Which, if you watch that match with sound on, it's pretty rotten. Sound off, sorry. If you watch that match with sound off, it's pretty rotten. If you watch the match with sound on and hear the crowd, it's one of the greatest matches of all time. And isn't that what it's all about, is the crowd reactions, right? So um, I said, we can't go on after Rock and Hogan. We can't. You can't follow Rock and Hogan. And Triple H was adamant that the, 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 the uh, headlining, the championship match should go on last. And that's what we did. And by then, we were, we were dead in the water. Because everyone was so excited about Rock and Hogan. The people went crazy. They went nuts. 
And then we came on after that, and, and, and the, the energy just wasn't there. So once again, I'm not sure if I've ever watched that match back. This, I'm three for three for not watching my WrestleMania matches back, but I just walked out of it. Like, once again, it was technically the main event. It looks good on paper. It looks good on the card when you see World Wrestling Federation Championship, Triple H versus Chris Jericho. But it really wasn't uh, what I was hoping for and what I wanted it to be. And then I get the paycheck for it. Now you're thinking, oh, well, he must have been happy with that. I wasn't. Let me tell you the reason why. I had always heard that if you were in the main event of WrestleMania, you're making seven figures. Easy. Like, no doubt about it. No doubt about it whatsoever. When I got the check, it was considerably less than that. Now, I don't want to say what it was because it was still a shitload of money, but it wasn't the WrestleMania payoff that I had always heard about. So then I happened to ask Triple H, and we were, we're friends now, but we were not friends at the time. There was always a lot of animosity between us. And I asked him, what, what did you get for WrestleMania? Now, I'm not going to mention numbers because it sounds really obnoxious if you're complaining about a number, but if the, if the WrestleMania payoff was a pie, Triple H got four pieces of the pie, and I got one piece of the pie. So he got 80% of the, of the payoff that was delegated by Vince. I got 20, and I blew my stack. I was like, listen, okay, I get it. It's, but, but dude, 80 to 20? And so I talked to Jim Ross, and Jim was the guy that you would go to if you were angry about a payoff. And guys would go and be angry about a payoff, and, and Jim would give them $5,000 extra. And I'd be like, you know they're just going to take it off your next pay-per-view check. Here's, okay, you, 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 you don't want 20? Here's 25. Next time, you, if it's supposed to be 20, you get 15. But this was different. This was not a matter of $5,000. This was the, a matter of, if you don't make this right, I'll walk the f*** out. Because it was so insulting to me. And I explained my case to Jim, and he said, well, Vince pays on what the people paid to see. And he feels the people paid to see Triple H win the world title. And I said, he's been back for three weeks. The three months prior, I was the one who was doing the work to lay the foundation so that when Triple H came back, people would want to see him win. That's how it works. So I told Jim. Jim went and told Vince. And to Vince's credit, with no argument, he sent me another check, which brought me up to one and a half pieces of the pie. <laughs> and at that point, I was like, I tap out. Fine. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Next one, I'm fairly confident you have watched this one back, and it's you and Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania 19. Um, and uh, at WrestleMania 18, Shawn hadn't come back. He was still retired. And then you get to have this match. You grew up idolizing him as a wrestler. I mean, you can't really ask for a, a better WrestleMania moment. Well, here's the thing. Once again, I mentioned before about how certain matches aren't destined to be classics because they just don't have the time or the buildup. This match of 
Shawn Michaels and Chris Jericho was given all of the tools to become a classic match. And in my opinion, it is a classic. Every year, like I said right off the gate, people want to steal the show. Everybody wants to have the best match on WrestleMania. And I can honestly say, for WrestleMania 19, the best match on the show was Shawn Michaels and Chris Jericho. And that's not my opinion. That's just what everybody and, and critics and fans and everybody thinks. So we have achieved this goal that's seemingly on the table. Shawn's done it many times. That's, that's probably the one and only time that I did it. And I remember at one somebody was saying, well, you know, Brock Lesnar and Kurt Angle is pretty good too. And that was the one where Brock did a shooting star press and landed on his head. And I wish I could do a better Shawn Michaels impression, but I can't. It's just got that really deep kind of cocky, arrogant voice. Well, let me ask you this. How could their match be better than ours when the finish was the guy landing on his head? <laughs> Doesn't count. So we had done this, this um, it was another, you'll find this out quite a bit, there's a lot of years where certain matches are marked in for WrestleMania months before, and other guys are just kind of left floundering. Not floundering, but we're not sure what we're doing with you yet. And I remember one of the plans was, well, maybe we'll do something with, with Jericho and Edge. But this was very early, like November, December. Then we had a highlight reel uh, in Orlando with me and Sean. And it was basically just meant to be, I think, just kind of almost a throwaway, a feel-good segment where I call Sean, you know, old or whatever. I think he was probably 40. You know, he was 39 at the time, maybe 40. And then he ends up by super kicking me in the face. And that's kind of the end. And Sean dances and, you know, we move on to the next week or whatever it is. And we did the segment. And I remember, like, it was really electric. Like, people were buzzing over this, just seeing us in the same ring together. Whether you knew my history of Shawn Michaels or not, uh, but there was something there. I remember when we came through the curtain to Gorilla, and Vince was sitting there, and he goes, you smell that? I said, what? He goes, that smells like money. <laughs> and then I started thinking, it does smell like money. Now, Shawn had had one match since he came back. He was not slated to do WrestleMania that year. He still didn't have his self-confidence yet. But when this angle was pitched to him, he said, if there's anybody I'm going to do it with, it's Chris Jericho. Now, for those of you that don't know, my three biggest inspirations as a wrestler were Owen Hart, Ricky Steamboat, and Shawn Michaels. I patterned the early years of my career on Shawn Michaels. I would do direct high spots that he did. I would wear costumes just like the Rockers. I even made uh, convinced Lance Storm to wear Rockers costumes. <laughs> Lance Storm is the opposite of a rocker. But still, it was tassels and, you know, jumping and running and rock and roll and, you know, flip off the top and all the stuff that Shawn Michaels did. So when I had the chance to start working with him, I said, there's a story here already. It's, it's, it's the classic karate kung fu movie of mentor versus student until the student thinks he can beat the mentor and then the final battle happens. And that's kind of where we went. So the buildup for it, I actually found some videotape from my first, my first match ever. And I remember what the spot was. A uh, guy shoots me to the corner. I up and over him. 
He charges at me. I hip toss him. He stands up. I jump and give him what we used to call a reverse victory roll, but it's basically a Frankensteiner. And this was in 1990 when no one did a reverse. If you could do a reverse victory roll, you were like Phoenix or Nick Jackson or Sammy Guevara. Like you were the greatest athlete in the world. So I did that spot and I found it. And I found the spot where Sean did it at SummerSlam 90. And we showed that during the angle side by side on Raw of Jericho completely ripping off Shawn Michaels move for move. So everyone understood the story. It was really, really cool. It was really well built up. And people were very much anticipating the return of Shawn Michaels. And the reason why Shawn and I always had great chemistry and even having one of the greatest storylines in WWE history in 2008, in my opinion once again, is that he was such a great babyface and I was such a great heel that you had perfect chemistry. It's why I always had great, great stories and matches with The Rock. He's such a good babyface, and you need a dragon if you're going to have a dragon slayer. So I was breathing fire like a mother. I'll tell you that. So we go to the uh, stadium in Seattle, and you go the day before, two days before. You have to book an appointment, basically, to get into the ring to practice your match. So there'll be a over, like a like kind of like a big diary or a binder or a day planner. That's what I'm looking for. And they would say, when would you like to come in and go over your match? Now, obviously, the main events get a little bit more uh, leeway, and the opening matches take what they can get. And we were kind of like in the middle of that. And so we got to go in, I don't know, Thursday at noon, let's say. And a couple days prior, I was looking for like a like a black Speedo bathing suit that I wore underneath my tights at a sporting goods store. It was called Dick's Sporting Goods. No coincidence there, right? Um, and I'm just standing there, and suddenly I get hit with the, with the muse. Like this, it's like, oh, shit. Excuse me, ma'am, could I borrow a piece of paper and a pen? You got to give the pen back. I promise I'll give the pen back. How do I know you're going to give me the pen. I'll stand right here. I got to get this on paper before I forget. And I wrote down the whole end of the match. And it was long. I was there for about 20 minutes, just kind of scribbling ideas down for this finish. Um, put it on a piece of paper, stuck it in my pocket, looked at it again the next day to make sure it still made sense, which it did, and said, well, I'll pitch this to Sean and see what he says. So I go to, at noon on Thursday to the stadium in Seattle Sean is there. I remember we sat in the front row by the ring in this giant stadium. And people go over matches for hours, sometimes days, a long time. I don't really do that, but a lot of people have a long, you know, a long process. I sit down next to Sean. He sit down next to me. He goes, you got any ideas? I said, yeah, I actually have pretty much the whole finish. He goes, really? I said, yeah. I said, do you have any ideas? He said, I pretty much have the whole beginning. I said, what? He goes, yeah, I was, whatever I was doing, I just got hit with all these ideas and had to write them down. I was like, this is what happened to me. So he went over his beginning. That's great. I went over my end. That's great. Ten minutes. See you on Sunday. And that shows you when you have great chemistry and understand the psychology of wrestling, you don't have to sit there right here like, oh, it took them six hours to put together a match. I'm like, what the f Six hours? Are you kidding me? Oh, they got in a fight putting together a match. Who's fighting over a match? You just make it up. You do whatever you want. 
So that was so quickly put together. And then, of course, execution is the next thing, which we had perfectly. And I'll say one more thing about it was I thought that the finish should be me going over. Just the position that I was in. I had big matches with Triple H and lost. I had big matches with Austin and lost. And, you know, uh, and I just thought it really fit better if I won. I would always go to Pat Patterson, who was a pro wrestling Jedi. He was so smart with psychology. Yeah, just a great, just... He, he was like Yoda, and I was like Luke Skywalker in his little knapsack running through, you know, Dagobah. And I was just trying to have him explain why it made sense. He goes, it doesn't matter who wins and loses. But he goes, you do need to do something at the end. And that's when Vince said, why don't you just kick him in the nuts? And I was like, it's great. So that's why we did the thing where, where we hug at the end, and it's almost like A2 Brutus, and I kick him in the balls, and he, he did this. He's, Sean is such a great baby face. Like, most guys would just go down and sell, but he kind of did this thing where he kind of melted down my body. This look on his face, and just collapsed. And it was just the ultimate finish for this amazing classic match that still, in my opinion, is one of the greatest WrestleMania matches of all time. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Recently, WWE had the Money in the Bank pay-per-view, and the Money in the Bank match came around, and you came up with that idea. So, you know, 2004, you did the match with Christian at WrestleMania, the kind of mid-card match. You get to WrestleMania 21 in 2005. What made you come up with this idea to do something out of the box and different at WrestleMania? One last thing about the Sean match is there was one spot in that match that terrified me. And you might think, well, was it a superplex off the top? No. Was it a moonsault into the barbed wire? No. It was doing a nip-up. You know Sean does the nip-up? Well, I hadn't done one of those since I was like 19 years old. I practiced that thing so much, and I would pick it up one out of every 10 times. And I was like, oh, my God, please don't let this be the one out of 10 times. And when I did that nip-up, if you guys go back and watch it, I'd do the nip-up, and I was just like, yeah! And I wasn't fake fire. Just, I did it! I did it! <laughs> So, uh, Money in the Bank. Yes, they just had the Money in the Bank pay-per-view. It is a match that, in storyline, I created. In reality, if it was a song, I co-wrote it with Brian Gewertz, who was the head writer of Raw at the time. He's now one of the top executives for uh, Rock's Seven Bucks Productions Company. He was always Rock's guy, but I worked a lot with him as well. He's very smart. And once again, like I said earlier, knowing that you would ask me this question, I planted some seeds. When I told you guys that sometimes you get to a WrestleMania and guys just don't have anything, there's no plans for them. So that was what was happening that year. Once again, it was, it was Edge, it was Benoit, it was Jericho. And I remember one of the ideas pitched was a three-way submission match. Now, going back to my three-way, two out of three falls belt match, I already had PTSD about three ways at WrestleMania. <laughs> Throw in the fact it's a submission match, do you know hard that would be and how boring that would be. The only way you can win is by submitting somebody. Edge doesn't even have a submission. 
how are we going to do this? So it's like, we got to think of something. And then suddenly it's like, well, Cain doesn't have anything. And Christian doesn't have anything. There's like a whole bunch of, and Shelton Benjamin was getting a big push at the time. Nobody has any plan or angle. So Brian and I were talking about something and they're trying to figure it out. I said, what if we have like a ladder match where the winner gets a title shot on Raw the next night? And I said, because he was like, well, what, what could be at stake? Because usually you have a belt up there. And I was like, we'll put a piece of paper like on a string <laughs> with, a <laughs> with a clothespin. Um <laughs> But the thing that was different to me as well was that we've never had a six-way ladder match where every man is for himself. They had tag team ladder matches with six guys, but it was Dudley's Edge and Christian Hardy's, etc. So I thought, it's cool on two points. One, everybody's for himself, which we hadn't seen. Now it happens every week, but at that point in time, it never happened. Two, then we have something at stake, which everybody would want, which is a title shot. So then Brian and I were talking, kind of going back. He said, well, what if we make it for a year? That way we don't have to put a, a, a date on it. You can, if you win this, this Money in the Bank contract, you can, you can use it at any point in time over the next year. And, and then he said, well, it's like, it's like having money in the bank. It's like you have your cash in the bank. You can use it whenever you want, but you know you have it. So it's the Money in the Bank match. That sounds really cool. Let's pitch it to Vince and see what he says. And any time that happened, I wasn't privy to the pitches, so I would have to wait. And you'd be like waiting, like, look at your phone. Boop, boop. Shit, go away, Mom. You know, <laughs> waiting for Brian to get back to you. And he finally called me. He's like, Vince loves it. He, he, he loves it, but he has one condition. Sure, what is it? It has to be in a briefcase. The contract has to be in a briefcase. That's, and, if, and it has to be that way. And I was like, okay. Which, once again, though, if you know the genius of Vince, what he's the best at, like he would always say, he'd come up with something and then I'd say, well, how am I supposed to do that? And he's like, I don't know, I just booked the shit, you make it work. <laughs> so then I would make it work, but it was almost like he would look at this cup right here and I'd tell him what I was gonna, planning on doing and he would sit there in silence. Now, if you and I were having a conversation and I just went silent, your initial thought, instinct would be, fill the silence with talking. That's not what you do with Vince. If he wants to sit there in silence for 20 minutes, don't say a word, because he's thinking, right? And then he would go, how about if we did this? And not literally, but figuratively, take this cup, this idea that I have, and go, and you'd be like, oh my gosh, that's so much better. Like just that little twist just made things from good to great. And that's what Vince does best. So by coming up with the briefcase, it's awesome because, like I said, like a piece of paper on a string or whatever, it's stupid. But the briefcase is a briefcase, and you can use it. You can carry it. You can use it as a weapon, but it's something you have to hand in. It's a viable uh, uh, you know, item that looks kind of cool. And you can sell them at the merch stand as well, which is probably... <laughs> So that was his, it was his, it was, his, and that was it. So we were ready to go. Problem was, Edge didn't want to do it. And he was like, uh, if, what, what do you mean he doesn't want to do it? He doesn't want to do it because he had just come back from injury. He felt he was the ladder match guy and was not into the idea of doing another ladder match. I said, he's winning the thing. Just who cares? Just do it. So finally, we got him on board. And then once again, I remember the first time we went to this tent they had set up outside of the Staples Center, I believe, or wherever, wherever Mania was that year. 
and we're just sitting there and it's like the same thing with Stadium Stampede or uh, Anarchy in the Arena or, or any of these matches. You just sit down and go like, all right, what are we going to do? And you just kind of hang out for a bit and like, well, what if, what if we put up a ladder and put a ramp on it and Shelton runs up the ramp and clotheslines me off the ladder? Oh, that's good. Write that down. Well, what if we do this? Then you write that down. Then each guy contributes like five or six ideas, and then you start shaping it and where it should all be. Oh, oh this is all, oh, and then suddenly you got something. And the, the best thing about those matches is you might watch them and go, how do they remember all this stuff? And my answer is you don't have to remember everything. You just remember it's like a chain. You remember your parts of the chain. As soon as Shelton runs up the ladder, I come in and do this, 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 and then I get knocked out. And then I wait for Christian to do a dropkick, then I'm back in. And that's kind of how you work it. And the best part of it was the match was really going good and the crowd was going into it. And I had the idea of Shelton running up the ladder because he's really, he's like a, like a cat, very graceful. And he hit me on top of the ladder and I fell to the mat and I rolled to the floor and I'm on the floor, I look up and looking right over at me is Adam Sandler and Rob Schneider. Ooh, what a man, what a riveting man, oh, what a man for you. And I remember just looking at him going, what a way to f make a living, Adam. <laughs> and he popped. I got Adam Sandler to laugh at WrestleMania. So once again, all you care about is that the match is good. And we've had matches before. If you remember the superstar scramble, I won the world title in the scramble. It was such a stupid concept. We never did it again. Money in the Bank, not only was it so good, they did it every year, and now it actually has its own pay-per-view, and the guys are having one, and the girls are having one, and the little people are having one, and everybody's having one. So it shows that when you don't have anything going on in wrestling or anything in life, don't complain about it. Put your heads together and come up with something cool and make stuff happen, and that's what we did. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. After WrestleMania 21... You, you, you go away for a couple of years because, you, you know, you're, you're kind of burned out from wrestling. And your first WrestleMania back happened to be a Money in the Bank match again in 2008. There wasn't But then the next year, 2009, you'd become the, the Jericho that everyone knows in the suit. And, the, and I mean, that idea changed so many times the Legends match that you were going to have. Can you talk about what your original idea was for that? Um, to what it ended up yeah it's, it's also typical too like if you here's here's the number one rule in wrestling don't create a match style because if you do you're guaranteed to never win it <laughs> I've never won a, a money in the bank match and I asked Vince one time why well, is there any reason why I never won there's been a couple times I could have won he goes because you created it it's going to seem like you know like, like nepotism if I put you over <laughs> just a preferential treatment because I created it yes I'm glad I didn't create the Royal Rumble. <laughs> didn't win that one either. <laughs> All right, so, um, oh, he just burned himself. Um, so we did this, uh, okay, so I'm at Royal Rumble in Detroit. Are you guys having fun, by the way? Is this good? <laughs> I want to make sure I'm not giving you too much information. Where you go, what the f***? What's he talking about? 
Anyways, so we, we do this. Um, thank you, sir. I have the mic. Shut up. I'm kidding. No, I'm not. Um, so I'm in Detroit at the Royal Rumble. And when I get back to the dressing room, I get a text from my cousin, Chad, who says, Mickey Rourke just called you out on the red carpet of the Screen Actors Guild Awards. I was like, what? Mickey Rourke? Why? He says he wants to wrestle you at WrestleMania. And I was like, me? And he had just done this movie called The Wrestler. Have you guys seen The Wrestler? If you haven't, you should watch it. It's, it's an excellent movie, and Mickey was up for an Oscar for his portrayal of Randy the Ram, I think the name of the guy was. So the idea was that Randy the Ram was kind of a, a washed-up wrestler looking for the spotlight one more time. That's the backstory. So I'm, I, I'm at the, the Royal Rumble, and then, and then uh, I get this text from my cousin, and then I get a, uh, somebody says, Vince wants to see you in his dressing room. So I go in there, and he goes, I'm sure you heard already that, that Mickey's called you at WrestleMania. And I said, well, yeah, why is this? Because we want, we want him to wrestle you at WrestleMania. Now, once again, if you know anything about WrestleMania, I think you guys know some more than you did when you walked in here. There's certain matches that have the spotlight. There's the main event matches. There's the Jericho Shawn Michaels that are given, you know, 30 minutes, whatever it may be. Um, actually, can I tell one more thing about the Shawn Michaels match? We had gone four minutes too long in that match with Sean. We were supposed to have 25, we went 29. We came through the gorilla position and Johnny Ace was standing there and Johnny goes, you guys went four minutes too long. <laughs> and Sean said, when you have a five-star match, you can tell me how long my match is until then shut your mouth. <laughs> and I was like, that's my HBK. There's the arrogant asshole Sean that we all know and love. So, so yeah, so Vince had said that he, uh, he, had, he had pitched this idea for Mickey to wrestle me. And if you're in WrestleMania and not in a title match or a match with a huge story, the best place to be is the star, is working with the star. And every year they always have the outside star, Logan Paul and, and, and you know, those type of guys, right? So it was really cool to be considered for this because I know I can steal the show. I'll be on Entertainment Tonight and I'll be on The Tonight Show and whatever it was. Problem is, Mickey let the cat out of the bag. I think he was a little bit buzzed before he was supposed to. And they were going to wait until the end of February until the votes for the Oscars had been turned in because Mickey's agent agency thought that if you are going for an Oscar, you can't go into wrestling, like this low-level wrestling stuff. It's going to look bad, and you won't get the votes that you should get to win the best actor. So they were mad at him for letting the cat out of the bag, and they pulled him off the show, which was a drag, because it was like, once again, I was, I was excited, and then it went away, like, basically in one day. So... I did the Larry King show, which was a really big chat show in, in the States. Um, and Mickey Rourke was on via satellite. And Vince told me, go on the show and try and goad him into doing the match. Try and get him so mad that he goes, F my agents, I'm going to do this match. So I was like, okay. If you guys go watch on YouTube, I am the biggest asshole ever. <laughs> And the best part was I was backstage at the Rosemont Horizon, the Allstate Arena in Chicago, at a Metallica concert. 
I was going to see Metallica. Like Vince wants you to do this silent interview. I was like, I'm going to Metallica, and they're like, we'll set you up backstage or whatever. But I had a couple drinks too, so I was a little bit like loose up. You know what I mean? I was like, this guy. So I went up there and I was just like, you're a coward. You're a coward, Rourke. You could never do what I do. Shut your mouth. You're a coward. Like so he's just you can see he's kind of like. But he's still. Because if you know anything, Mickey Rourke, he was a big star. He went off the rails, and this was his big comeback. He did The Wrestler, then he did Iron Man 2. He did a couple other things, and he went off the rails again. But for a while, he was saying, this is my second chance. I'm not going to blow this. So he was sticking to the script. Don't do the magic. Don't do the magic. So and I say afterwards to Vince, I said, what do you think? He goes, oh, you're way too stiff on him. <laughs> I said, you told me to be stiff. Not that stiff. Come on, Chris. So then they come up with this idea that, and Vince called me, which he didn't call me often, but when he did, you knew there was something big. He said, I got this idea. I'm going to have you wrestle the legends of the WWE under the same angle that we were going to do with the wrestler, and that these are guys holding on to the spotlight too long. They just need to disappear. I said, well, who do you have in mind? He's like, Piper, Snuka, and Greg Valentine. Yeah, dude just said, ouch. <laughs> Welcome to my world, dude. Um, yeah, this was the problem. Now, all of those guys were huge stars in their own right. Obviously, Roddy Piper, one of the absolute greats upon all the greats, but none of them were ever really known as great workers. Maybe Snook at one point, but he was far past his prime, as all of them were. But they never really did much. And I was like, what am I going to do with these guys? I'm not, I'm not trying to be funny. Like, I have nothing but respect for the, for the brothers that came up be before me. But as a professional myself at WrestleMania, like, it sure sounds good in theory. And in, in story, it'll be good. But what am I going to do once the, once the match happens? I said, Vince, it's not going to be good. It's not supposed to be good. <laughs> it's WrestleMania. Who cares? Well, I care. What do you suggest then, damn it? So I said... I said, how about Jerry Lawler? Because I knew that Jerry could still work a match. I could do something with him. I said, take out Valentine. Sorry, Greg. But put in uh, Jerry. And Vince said, that doesn't fit the criteria. I said, what do you mean? It doesn't fit the criteria. What criteria? The criteria that I've, that I've decided on. The criteria that you've decided on that nobody knows but you. <laughs> All right, what's the criteria? The guy has to be, had, had to have been in the first WrestleMania and has to be in the WWE Hall of Fame. Those were Vince's rules of who could be in this match. Once again, no one else knows these rules, just Vince. I'm like, Lawler, he's like, it wasn't in the first WrestleMania. All right. So then I'm thinking, who did I mention earlier, guys? If you've been paying attention, my th three favorites, Owen Hart, Shawn Michaels, and who was the other one? Exactly. So I was like, Ricky had just started back with us as, a, as like an agent backstage. What about Ricky Steamboat? He's like, oh, I don't even know if we own his name. And I said, well, he was in the first WrestleMania, and he's going into the WWE Hall of Fame this year, like before WrestleMania. He technically fits the criteria. So we found out that we did own his name, or actually Ricky owned his name because he had some issue with his ex-wife who stole his name, and he finally got it back. So then it was official. It was going to be Snooka. Piper and Ricky Steamboat, one of the all-time greatest workers ever, who even at 58 was better than 80% of our roster at the time. And f at least then I knew I could do a match. So I'm excited, I'm ready, and plus it's Ricky Steamboat. We do this build-up for, for the show, and Ricky did a, a decent promo. He was never a great promo, but he did a good one. And I think I hit Snooka with a coconut maybe, or pushed a wall over on him. He, he was at this point in time kind of out of it. 
let's say there's no lines to give him because he's not remembering anything and he's like brother it's all about love it's all about love brother it's all about peace and love brother okay so when i hit you with this coke coconut just don't say that but here was here was the, here was the one piper possibly the greatest promo of all time but what they would do to him when he came into WWE for the last five years of his life, they would give him these long scripts. They would do it with flair as well. These guys are not script guys. They'd get this whole long script and they're like, I can't memorize this. Vince wants you to memorize it. So they would try. They would do their best to memorize this script. They had never had a script in their life. Just tell them the bullet point of what you want them to say and have them do it. So we had this promo, I remember it was in Tacoma, Washington, and I said to Roddy before, I said, Roddy, I don't want you to even think about this script. I said, let's just throw it away, between you and me. I said, what I want is the Roddy Piper from WrestleMania 1. The Roddy Piper who doesn't get the credit for being the dragon to Hulk Hogan's Dragon Slayer. You think about the success of WrestleMania 1, it's all... Hogan, Mr. T, Cindy Lauper, the genius of Vince McMahon, the New York market. What about Piper? He was the guy that people wanted, to, right? And he had told me before that it kind of pissed him off that he never got that, that credit. I said, I want the Roddy Piper who put those people in that arena, who saved this company don't worry about the script just be roddy piper the greatest promo of all time and you can see like i'm not saying i inspired him but i could see that he was like yeah you i am roddy piper <laughs> and i saw roddy in the corner just kind of thinking to himself because don't forget roddy was in i don't know 60 movies 70 movies i did a movie with him in mexico city in 93 called immortal combat not mortal <laughs> immortal if you pause at the right moment, you'll see me. I was getting the shit kicked out of me by this Japanese karate guy called Sonny Chiba, who was about 65 at the time. And on the 10th take, he was literally just kicking me right in the face. <laughs> but I remember seeing Roddy on that set. And he was just in the corner, just kind of going over his lines and getting into his character. And that's what he was doing this night in Tacoma. And he went to the ring, and he did have some notes on his wrist. I remember seeing that. But he cut which is the last great Roddy Piper promo of his career. And he was talking about how, you know, you know, th this little kid came up to me with his grandpa and his grandpa used to watch me. And yeah, I'm old because this grandpa connects with me. But when the little kid said that his grandpa believed in me and, I, and the kid believed in me, he goes, that's what wrestling's all about is, is families. It's about families. It's about mothers and sons and fathers and grandfathers. It's like people were crying, you know? And I was like, Oh my gosh, this is just so good. And it's like, so I might be old, but, but, but you know, I love wrestling and I love the connection that I have with these people and the connection they have with me. And that's worth more than anything. It's worth more than you. It's worth more than anything that you ever stood for, Chris Jericho. And people are just cheering and crying and I'm kind of looking sad. And then I just kick him in the shin. Boom. <laughs> and once again, that was Vince's idea. He goes, I said, so should I punch him? He goes, just kick him in the shin. Why? He goes, have you ever been kicked in the shin? I go, yeah. He goes, it hurts, doesn't it? I go, yeah. He goes, what a pussy move. <laughs> kick him in the shin. When he goes down, kick him once in the face, and that's it. And that's all I did. I kicked him in the shin. Piper sold it. I booted him in the face and left. And it was just such a great angle for this, this match that we had. The match came. 
I think I beat Snooker in about a minute. He did the best he could. Piper, I think that was the one time in my life I, I won with a sleeper hold, maybe or so. Or no, Enzi. I beat I beat Roddy Piper at WrestleMania with an Enziguri. <laughs> and then I had the last five or six minutes with with Steamboat, which was excellent. And Steamboat ended up staying in the company for another six months. I wrestled Steamboat in Tokyo and Hawaii, all around the world after that, because he just continued to get better and better and better. The last thing I'll say is that Mickey Rourke does show up for that match. He's allowed to be there. He's already lost the, uh, the best actor, so he should have just done the match anyways, but whatever. And he is a former Golden Gloves boxer. So he's going to be watching from the crowd. He's going to come in the ring after. He's going to punch me in the face. Hollywood hero gets the victory, whatever it is. So I show up once again for the rehearsal beforehand. And Piper, oh, sorry, uh, Rourke is in the ring. And once again, this is a long stadium, so I can see that he's in the ring. And I see our WWF PR person coming towards me. And she's like, I'm like, hey, how's it going? She goes, Mickey Rourke is furious at you. Me? Why? Because of your interview on Larry King Live. I said, well, did you tell him I was just working? She goes, no. I said, you're the worst press agent ever. So I go to the ring. I walk in. Rourke is in there, and he's got three guys in the ring with him. And these are muscled-up dudes. And one of them is uh, Frank Shamrock, who was one of the original MMA like killers. He's Ken Shamrock's brother. Another guy who I found out was like an Israeli bounty hunter. <laughs> I'm not kidding. And another guy was some other MMA guy. And these guys just looked, they looked hard. And they were angry and they were pissed off. And I see Mickey and so I walk in. I'm trying to be cool. And like, gives me the worst fake Hollywood hug ever. Like, hey, bro, good to see you. And I was like... So we're kind of going over what we're going to do, and I realize, like, he's, he's not having it. Like, he's just not paying attention to what I'm saying. He's pissed off. He's angry. So I finally said, listen, Mickey, you know at the Larry King show that I was just trying to do an angle. He goes, no, you weren't. I said, yeah, I was just trying to, you know, push your buttons and see if I get a reaction. He goes, no, you weren't. He goes, in boxing, you say those things, you're looking for a fight. I said, in boxing, it might be true, but I said, this is wrestling. He goes, what's the difference? I said, let me get this straight. <laughs> you were just up for a Best Actor Award for playing a wrestler, and yet when I came on playing a wrestler, you didn't figure out the difference? And he goes, you were acting? I said, yes. He goes, so I was up for the Best Acting Award, and you outacted me. He goes, come here. Final thing was, we work it out. Mickey's going to hit me. It's all great. He's awesome. He sent me, Mickey Rourke sent me acting books. He, uh, he, he used to call me and go, if you need to run over any lines for an audition, come to LA, stay at my house. We'll go over some lines together. Like, he wanted to be my acting teacher or something after he was so impressed. Here's the best part, though. Mickey and his guys leave the arena. These three guys, he told me, Mickey said he hired them and flew them to Houston, I believe it was again, on his own dime to beat me up if I decided to shoot on Mickey Rourke. And I said, Mickey, you don't need three guys to beat me up. Anyways, he leaves the ring, and I, and I say to Vince, you know those guys, Mickey hired them to beat me up if I tried to shoot. He goes, those guys? I said, he goes, you, me, Finley, Malenko, we would have kicked the shit out of those guys. <laughs> and he goes... And then he goes, 
Like, that, look at that one guy was a midget. He's talking about Frank Shamrock, one of the toughest UFC fighters of all time. Because that guy was a midget. I said, let me tell you this, Vince. If a fight breaks out, I'll take Mickey Rourke. You take the midget. Because you're goddamn right I would. Vince McMahon. How we move on from Vince. You can uh, totally see him doing that too, right? I'll kick his fucking ass right now. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters. Both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Most of the WrestleManias you're involved in, you've got a top-level match. So, you know, you do WrestleMania 26 with Edge, you guys have the world title match. But I want to ask you about WrestleMania 28 with CM Punk. Because the year building up to, obviously, they'd said it's going to be Rock and Cena in the main event. That was guaranteed, there was no change in it. And Punk's always said that he was really frustrated that no matter what he did, he was never going to get the main event match. But they, they did bring you back and gave him this big world title match. What was the experience like for you coming back? You'd been away for a while and been put in this position with you know Punk, who's maybe not thrilled that he won't get to main event. Yeah, well, he always had a problem with that. And I even said to him, like, dude, like, once again, I was in the main event, but you had a match with Undertaker. I mean, that's a main event on any, any WrestleMania, you know? And he goes, you're on last. You can't tell me any differently. You don't know how I feel. You're in the main event. I was like, okay. So he was always had that in his head. I don't think it was as bad as it was at this point when we worked. Because the reason why I thought of Punk was we, we had worked quite a bit over the years. Uh, we got along really well. We always had great matches. And I was the best in the world. And I left for a year or so. And he was the best in the world. So I said, well, this is great we can do a best in the world versus best in the world match, right? So that's kind of what the idea was. And the original plan for the opening angle to get that rolling was I was going to tattoo CM Punk. What do you mean? I was going to do an angle where I knocked him out and handcuffed him to the ring ropes, take out a t tattoo needle, and tattoo my initials onto his body. I would get a tattoo artist to show me how to do it and do like a CJ, okay? And... I remember pitching that to Vince, and he was like, well, who cares? He's got so many tattoos. What difference does it make? I said, the difference is I'm tattooing him. And he's like, well, so what? It's for a tattoo guy to get tattooed unwantedly. It doesn't matter if you have one tattoo or a thousand. It's something that, that will always you'll always have to look at it and always think of it. It's very embarrassing and very violating, right? And so finally, Vince went for it. And so we had it all planned, and we were going to do it. And I think that we even had a tattoo artist there who was going to show me early in the day. And Vince then came to us and said, we're not doing that tattoo thing. It's like, why? Because tattoos bleed too much. Now, you guys have tattoos. They don't really bleed that much, and especially a smaller one. It might bleed a little bit where the blood wells up, but it's not like you're you know, gigging and there's buckets of blood flowing out of this Tattoo. So once again, I think somebody got in Vince's head that didn't like the tattoo idea and just decided that, you know, it's too much blood. We're going to get thrown off the air. So then Vince came up and said, well, we're going to do this thing that Punk's, I understand Punk's dad is an alcoholic. Let's do an angle on that. And you can bury his family and, you know, bury his dad from being an alcoholic. And I was like, have you talked to Punk about this and asked him? He goes, no. 
he did talk to Punk, and Punk went for it, and that was kind of the angle of the thing. I was trying to get him to, you know, to, to, to waver from his straight-edge ways and sending liquor baskets to his dressing room, and then one day he drank it, and I was like, I gotcha, and I had a sheriff to give him a, a, a sobriety test where I just watched it back where he had, I don't know if you guys have ever been pulled over if they even do that here. One of the things they ask you to do if you're suspected of drunk driving is say the alphabet backwards. I can't say the alphabet backwards if I'm stone cold sober. I can barely say the alphabet forwards. I still get G and H mixed up. Um, so Punk did it. He went over it and did it backwards. And we had there's a really kind of a pretty cool angle when you consider um, where it stemmed from. So then we get to the match. And Punk and I had this idea where we would have this modern day Savage and Steamboat classic with two guys with similar styles and a good story. And we told Vince that, and Vince said, no. I see it as a two-minute DQ. And we were both like, two-minute DQ? I remember we were told that by the writers, and so we had to go have a meeting with him. He's like, you have been burying his dad, burying his family, calling him an alcoholic, trying to get him drunk, trying to do all these dastardly things. If he goes in there and has a 25-minute wrestling match with you, that makes him look awful. And he did kind of have a point. If we would have known that, maybe we wouldn't have done the angle the way we did it, but then that's when we came up with the idea, okay, well, if Punk gets disqualified, then he loses the title. So at least there's a reason where he can beat the shit out of me, but he can't go too far, because then he loses the title anyway. So that was kind of the story of the match. And once again, the match, I think, was pretty good. But to me, once again, was there something missing from it? I don't know. I don't really know if it really was as good as we wanted it to be, or maybe it was, because once again, I didn't watch it back. Because I remember thinking afterwards, here's another thing too, and it kind of, it, it gets to me sometimes. When you wrestle in a stadium, the sound goes up. Whereas if you wrestle in an arena, or like if you go to an indie show here, it's super loud because the sound bounces off the walls and the ceiling. Stuff that you don't think of as a fan. But when you're in a stadium, the, the, the reactions are delayed. So you'll do something and be thinking like, why is there no one cheering? And then you watch it back and it just sounds super loud. But in the ring, it's very frustrating because you're not getting that reaction. You're not feeling the energy that you wish you could have. I remember the edge match that I had was the same because the buildings are so big. So that does affect your performance to an extent because you kind of psych yourself out like nobody cares. Why is nobody cheering? Does this suck? And the, they are, but it's just not coming to hit you in the ring like it would if it was in an arena. So I like the punk match. I like the angle. I think we did a great job with it. I just don't know if it was as good as I wanted it to be or as I remember it, uh, or maybe it's better than I remember it being. You know, you said before that you took the, the Fandango match as like a challenge when that was given to you, that was going to be the WrestleMania match. But I wanted to know, did you expect the Fandango chant to during that become so big that it would chart as a song in the UK? I mean, like, what? That's your fault, guys. All right, it's like it's like row row your boat around here. Um, so, yes, yes, because here here was my mission, and there's you know there's a long story behind the Fandango match, but when it was finally when it was finally had to do it. I was like, well, this is a challenge because he's never had a match on TV. He's very new. I have to get this guy over. I think I had four weeks. So there was two ways I could do that. One was get people uh, uh, familiar with his name by getting it wrong, 
and then by having a, a finishing move established, which was his leg drop from the top rope. If we can do that, and also have him beat me up every week, because it's like, well, you got to beat him this week. No, no one knows who he is. If he beats me up four weeks in a row, then he looks like a little bit more of a threat. If he has a move that people know, which was the leg drop off the top rope, then we have something we can play with for false finishes, etc. And if I get his name wrong, at least it puts a little bit of steam on me as this you know, funny baby face, and also gets people to remember, oh, his name is Fandango. Not the dingo ate your baby or Shalamoose, Shalamoose, can you do the Fandango? That was my favorite one. Scaramouche, Scaramouche, can you do the Fandango? Um, so that's what I kind of did. And I also noticed this song. People were singing it. And they were really, really into this weird character. And I'll tell you where the character came from. I had done Dancing with the Stars before that, about a year before. And Vince loved the fact they did Dancing with the Stars but hated the male dancers. What kind of a man dances? I'm like, dude, like these guys pick up chicks. Oh, come on. He's a dancer. So as soon as I saw the evil ballroom dance, I'm like, well, I know where that came from. So that was kind of my task. And I remember I was kind of really mad at first, and I asked Undertaker about it, and he said, you know, just do it. Like, it's your job. It's what the boss wants to do, so go out there and Give it your all and do your best. So that's what I did. And, and we got him over, and, and then I put him over, which is another thing I was at the time was like, really? But it's wrestling. If the, if the director and a Steve, if Steven Spielberg, and I'm in a war movie, wants me to get shot and lose my arm, and I go, Steve, I don't feel that for my character. He'd go, fine, you're fired. Bring some other guy in and lose his arm. I'll do it. So that's kind of where we're at. So I did the match. Did I expect that? later on that night or the next night in Meadowlands that everybody would be leaving the arena singing his song. I remember I pulled my phone out and held it out the window and called Vince and said, listen to this. This is the parking lot after the Raw, after WrestleMania. Like, it was like whatever the Dream of Genie thing was. Everyone was just screaming and singing and singing. Like, we made this huge baby face, like, in one night. And, you know, so... It did go the way I was hoping that it would go. I did my job, and in deference to what I said earlier about the Triple H match, when I got my check for the Fandango match, it was, at the time, I think the second biggest paycheck I'd ever gotten for any match ever was that match against Fandango, which was second on the show. Always do your best, kids. Uh, you know... <laughs> you know, after that uh, Fandango match, you kind of, for a couple of years, didn't work, you know, the big shows, you worked house shows and live events and different things. Then you do the AJ Styles match at WrestleMania 32, um, which, you know, went over very well. But I want to ask you about the Kevin Owens match at WrestleMania 33, because... <laughs> who would have thought that the chain of events of that match would play out the way they have? Um, when did you find out that it was going to go from the main event to, to where it was and how close to the show was, was it that that happened? Uh, right before, I, I really love the AJ Styles match before you think, oh, Jericho's one of those star, you know, suffering artists that hates all his work. I, I thought the AJ match was really good. And people were so mad that I, that I went over on AJ, which made me laugh. It's like, well, I can't win matches anymore. I'm not allowed to win. There, there was a reason for it. Um, so the Kevin Owens, once again, we... We were in, actually, I believe in England. I believe we were at the O2. And we had, it was just one of those times, if you guys ever watched Raw, where they just put two bad guys together randomly. Like, oh, just put Owens and Jericho and against whoever and whoever. And it's like, okay, well, I remember from, I didn't know him at all, but just talking to him, it's like, he's pretty funny. He kind of reminds me of me. He's kind of a 
fun sense of humor and you know self self deprecating and kind of goofy and all that sort of stuff. So we do this match and we lose. And afterwards, we're walking up the ramp off air, and I just yell out randomly, "I'm the goat!" And Kevin goes, "And I'm the donkey." With that kind of French accent that's not strong, but it's there. And I was like, it's pretty good. Like, he just came up with that on the fly. And then I started thinking, like, I could do something with this guy. So I suggested to Vince, why don't you put us in kind of a team and see what happens. And it caught on right away. We even pitched a WWE Films, uh, like a good, like two cops, like, you know, a good cop and a bad cop sort of thing, you know, like a lethal weapon, but as a comedy where we would just improv. And then Vince said, well, give us five minutes of improv. And we did this five-minute improv of the two of us as cops. And this, you know, we're chasing some guy who, whatever the hell he did, ran a stop sign or whatever. And I remember we, we watched it back, and it was really funny. It was like Spinal Tap, best in show, like improv comedy. And we showed it to Vince. He's like, yeah, this is great. I'll give it to whoever the guy's name was mike schwartz or whatever his name was and of course then i called the guys like well you know we're we're, we're trying to do more outside projects rather than in-house projects but like, you guys are idiots like this would be great this would be such a funny movie uh anyways i think we're gonna call it bad cop bad cop <laughs> i mean it writes itself right you guys would go to it so um we did all this stuff and then we got to about SummerSlam, and i said to vince i think we can take this to wrestlemania there's enough here roman reigns was just getting hot and seth rollins and Sami Zayn, and we could work with all these guys as this team as as the, the we, were, we were the best friends before the best friends were, were in aw we were the best friends and that's kind of where the whole thing started and people kept thinking okay you're gonna break up now and we wouldn't okay you're gonna break up now and we wouldn't and the one time I was like, you know what the problem is here? And he goes, yeah, I know what the problem is here. You know what the problem is here? You know what the problem is here? And I said, put your microphone down and don't move your hands until I put my microphone up. That was the plan. You know what the problem is here? Yeah. You know what the problem is here? Roman Reigns. We say it at the same time. And so that was kind of the thing. We were kind of uh, going against these guys. And then finally, uh, we get to the Festival of Friendship and we do the big breakup. And it was around that time probably a couple weeks after that that Vince said the main event of Wrestlemania this year is going to be Jericho versus Kevin Owens for the WWE title and because Kevin was a champion if you remember and I was like this is pretty cool because I've never won the title as a babyface I've never won the title world title as a babyface ever seven time world champion always as a heel so I guess I'm just not likable but um, I thought, well, this could be really cool. The main event, uh, or a main event, whichever, might not have been on last, but it's a main event anyways, as we discussed earlier. And I just thought, this is, this is great. And then about a week later, um, Bra uh, Goldberg beat Kevin for the title. And they changed it. Vince didn't tell me. He, Vince told me face-to-face -face about the main event plan. He didn't tell me about the change. And that was changing it to Brock versus Goldberg for the world title. So, I mean, I'm a big boy. I get it. I'm a professional. He changed his mind. It happens. It's, it's not an insult to me or anything personal. But what really bugged me about that was we went from the main event of WrestleMania to putting us on second. Now, if you know anything about placement on a wrestling show, if you're not last, you want to be first. If you're not first or last, you want to be semi-main event. And other than that, it's pretty much a quagmire. Unless you can get a good spot like Sean and I did, which was fifth, but we had 25 minutes, which went 29 minutes, as I told you. This did not have that. It was scheduled for, you know, 15 minutes. And don't forget, guys, it takes a minute and a half to walk to the ring. And it was just kind of 
just a match that was just there. And it really bothered me because that story was one of the best, if not the best story of that whole WrestleMania season. I still think the Festival of Friendship is one of the best segments in Raw history. You know? Everyone said, they, oh, we saw that turn coming. Like, you didn't see anything coming, you know? I sort of wanted it to start like an 80s David Lee Roth video and have it end like the Game of Thrones Red Wedding. We were just like, no, don't do it, don't do it. Oh, he did it. So that all kind of led to when we were on second, I was already kind of like, ah, I don't know if I could really want to be here anymore. And then we get the... Uh, review from Vince for our match. Have I ever told you this before? Oh, I never told you this before. Have I ever told you guys this before? No, I haven't. Vince said to Kevin Owens, that was the worst match in WrestleMania history. <laughs> That's what he said. <laughs> he just did not like that match. And I was like, really? Did you not see a Giant Gonzalez versus Undertaker? Really? He, for whatever, he was really on Kevin's case for being kind of like, he was said, you're fat, you're out of shape, and you do too many moves, and you're just not a good heel. He was really, really on Kevin at that point in time. And our match was just collateral damage, I think, to where I was like, the worst segment of all time. Uh, once again, I think the match we had the next month was much better for the U.S. title. Uh, it, but once it, where it was supposed to be similar to the match way back, as we were talking earlier, that was supposed to be the four McMahons in every corner, and I was supposed to be one of the guys going to the three-way, and then this one was supposed to be made event going to the second match of the card. Even though the story was the best story on the show, I knew it was time for me to leave. Thank you guys so much! I hope you had a good time tonight!